Hello to you people in the future who are listening to another episode of Voices in My Head. Thank you for joining me today. Over the last few months, I've been honored to bring you great guests like Jason Gray, Sarah Groves, Michael Card, Andrew Peterson, Trip York, and Brian Zahn, just to name a few. It's been my pleasure to bring these podcasts to you, the listener, free of charge. The fact is, though, that there are operating expenses when you do a show like this, so rather than make this a paid podcast, I wanted to give the listeners a chance to help out. The Voices in My Head audience has grown exponentially since I began broadcasting in January of 2012, and there are people who listen from all over the globe. Because of this, and because I want to keep the podcast free, I'm offering you a chance to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head. Maybe you'd like to dedicate a show to a family member with a message for their birthday, or maybe you'd like to honor a loved one with some sort of special greeting. Perhaps you just want to showcase one of your websites or a business. So to sponsor an episode of Voices in My Head, simply send me an email with your ad to rljames29 at yahoo.com. If I approve your ad, then I'll let you know in a follow-up email. Then simply go to rickleejames.com. Click on the tab that says Tip Jar, Podcast Sponsorship, follow the link to PayPal, and then leave your donation or sponsorship amount. If it sounds like a lot, then just send me an email and I'll talk you through the steps. Thank you again for listening to Voices in My Head, and enjoy today's episode. I honor the Holy One inside you. Namaste. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head. The official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Hello, listeners. I am Rick Lee James, and I'm coming to you from Ohio, the home of the man that set the world record for fist pumping. That's right, he super glued his fist together and he fist pumped for 17 hours. I don't know why you would do that, but uh, and I don't even think Guinness World's Records keeps track of such things. So as far as we know, though, uh, he is the world record holder for fist pumping. I'll tell you about where I heard that on relevant podcasts in just a few minutes here. Got some things to get out of the way, just some house cleaning. Is it house cleaning? House something i forget what you call it but we've got some things to talk about i always forget to mention at the beginning of the show that stitcher is a a proud partner of us and if you go to stitcher and get the stitcher app for your iphone your android or whatever it is that you use um, or you can even use it on the computer you can listen to this show without downloading anything all you have to have is an internet connection and you can listen to the episodes of voices in my head i believe they keep the last three on there and that's a great place to go if you don't want to take up all kinds of memory on your uh, on your personal device just go to stitcher and i'm very proud to be partnered with them uh, and it, it just go in there sign in make an account and uh, you can get lots of uh, i mean uh, probably hundreds of thousands of radio shows podcasts things like this just look up voices in my head i believe i'm the only one on there with that title so uh, go to stitcher also it is father's day and in the spirit of father's day why not buy somebody a gift or if you're a dad do it for your 
yourself. Still have a special at cdbaby.com, $4.99. You can get any one of my complete albums You can in the form of a download. And uh, that's a much better price than you get anywhere else on the Internet. It's half price from iTunes. And I'm really encouraging you to go to cdbaby.com slash James or go to cdbaby.com and just put my name in, Rick Lee James. It'll take you to everything that I have on there. But appreciate you going there and checking it out. Also, we're still open to sponsorships. We're still open to donations here on the show. It's going to be a great podcast today. I recorded it actually a few weeks ago when I went uh, to Indiana and recorded with my father, Randy Lee James, because this is a special Father's Day podcast. And we talked about his book, and you're going to want to hear all about that. It's actually a book written about Revelation, and who doesn't like to hear about Revelation? You know, we, we make it this big... Ooh, spooky book, but it's actually a book of hope and a book of uh, of great, um, just, just it's a great revealing of who God is and who Christ is. So I'm excited to be able to share the conversation that I had with my father. Um, it was it was live. It was uh, it was good. We we both I don't know if we sound alike or not, but you can definitely I'm sure hear the father sonness going on there in that room, whatever that's called. Well, we're just going to do a a couple sections today, but I do have a very special announcement to make. Here on this Father's Day episode, I think we're up to episode 24 right now here on Voices in My Head podcast. Um, My wife and I are going to be having a visitor about January of next year, January 2013. And uh, this guest of ours is going to be staying in our home for approximately... 18 years, you know, give or take a year, something like that. But uh, you guessed it, folks, or maybe you didn't. Maybe I have to spell it out for you. We're having a child. It's our first, and on this Father's Day episode, I'm just busting at the seams to be able to tell you I'm going to be a dad. Well, you know, life has already begun in the womb. I am a dad currently, but I haven't actually come face-to-face with my child yet. Don't know if it's a boy or a girl right now. It's about the size of a, a raspberry or something, I think. But January 2013, we appreciate your prayers, uh, and uh, we'll let you know update as time goes on but we're excited to welcome a little james into the world so i wanted to make that announcement on the father's day podcast today what a cool day i get to announce that i'm having a child and uh, that my dad is here with me today and it's going to be father's day when this podcast comes out just uh, a great day all around well let's get right to the two segments of the show there's one that we haven't had in a while we're going to do stuff rick likes and then we're going to go into question of the week and then we're going to go straight into the interview with Dr. Randy Lee James, my father. But right now, let's go into Stuff Rick Likes. Stuff Rick Likes. Well, I have one recommendation from Stuff Rick Likes this week. I want to recommend to you uh, a podcast that actually is getting a lot of crossover with this podcast. It's called Relevant Podcast. And it is the people who bring you Relevant Magazine. They've got like, I don't know, 50 Twitters a day about Relevant. But it's a really great podcast. And Relevant Magazine, if you haven't ever read it, is very good. We actually had one of the writers that often writes for Relevant Magazine on the podcast not too long ago. Uh, The author of Hipster Christianity, Brett McCracken, and uh, it was a great interview, and it's a great book, and Relevant is a great magazine, and their podcast, it's funny, it's got great guests, uh, I've been listening over the last couple days while I work out, been listening to their guests, Chris Tomlin, John Mark McMillan, Gunger, um, and they, they are 
the one of the funniest podcasts I've ever heard. Honestly, I was driving down the road today on the way to my local comic shop in Yellow Springs, Ohio, Superfly Comics and Games. Shout out to Tony and Jared working there and all the good folks at Superfly. And on my way there, I'm listening to this podcast. And folks, I have not laughed this hard in a very long time. It was the episode with John Mark McMillan. And I, I could not breathe, which is probably not a good thing to do while you're laughing. But like, I think I went maybe a minute and a half but I didn't exhale because it was just like one of those laughs that was just like <laughs> because I you know I I don't generally sound like a seagull or whatever that was when I laugh but it's a great podcast I recommend it highly to you if you like Christianity and pop culture stuff uh, they do it right they're relevant and if you go to iTunes you'll see that we actually have a lot of overlap between listeners there and listeners here so I want to recommend the relevant podcast to you guys they have uh, quite a few more listeners they have like 65,000 I think but they also have a magazine we're growing we're going to catch them one of these days maybe we'll even do a podcast feud with them uh, one of these days but I do want to recommend to you relevant podcast and that is the stuff Rick likes this this week. Stuff Rick Likes. Well, I really wish I had time to do a practically useless guitar lesson. Maybe we'll be able to get to that in the next episode that comes up, but we honestly have so much to do today. And uh, one of the things that at least one listener would probably reach through the internet, grab me by the throat, and strangle me if I didn't do it every week. You know I'm talking about you, Matthew Cole, who's also been a two-time guest on this podcast. The segment that we all have come to know and love as... Question of the Week. Question of the Week can be answered on the Voices in My Head, the Rick Lee James podcast Facebook page. And uh, the question this week is a Father's Day-themed question. And the question of the week was, if you had to pick one of these dads, uh, sorry, one of these TV dads to be your dad, which would you choose and why? And the answers that were available were Charles Ingalls, Michael Landon's character on Little House on the Prairie, Cliff Huxtable, Bill Cosby's character on The Cosby Show, John Walton, Ralph Waite's character on The Waltons, and Andy Taylor, Andy Griffith's character on The Andy Griffith Show. And uh, we had a lot of responses this week, and we kind of went viral, actually. Lots of people liked this, and not everybody answered, but lots of people saw it and liked it and told friends about it, and so... Um, it's it it really is great. And I looked, and according to iTunes records, they it's what they consider viral. So um, apparently, we have a virus. We've created one with the question of the week for this Father's Day edition. Sarah Kelly said Andy Taylor, but if this was about the original Charles Ingalls from the Little House book, then I'd have to go with Paw. Brandon Hancock just simply says Cliff. So uh, Ryan Hammond. By the way, thanks, Brandon Hancock. Brandon was a guest a while back, and it's great to uh, to hear from you on this podcast once again. We need to have him back in the future. Really talented guy. Uh, Ryan Hammond, my buddy from up north in Ohio, uh, he wrote in Andy Taylor for the most part. Wouldn't it be the coolest thing to have Andy Griffith explain to you why what you did is wrong? That'd be sweet. In all seriousness, though, Andy Griffith had a pretty good show. Uh, I agree with you, Ryan. I really do. And uh, Andy's going to be my answer as well. Thank you, Ryan, for writing in. Matthew Cole, he says, definitely Cliff Huxtable. That man was awesome. And who else could use sarcasm with that much love? 
Besides, I am Caucasian. Can you imagine the jokes that it would bring to the show? So, Matthew Cole, apparently you and Brannon, the brilliant theologians that listen to this show, you agree that uh, Cliff Huxtable would be a great dad. Kimberly Morgan Gift, how you doing, Kimberly? Glad you could answer today. Glad you're listening to the podcast. She says as well, Cliff Huxtable, as a child, I wish that he could be my dad. He was just so funny. So, great to hear from you, Kimberly, and I appreciate you writing in this week. Looks like Cliff is our winner so far. Let's see the last one, Tony James. Probably John Walton, she says. I almost chose Charles Ingalls, but then I remembered that there were no indoor bathrooms in the Ingalls home. So that pushed being a part of the Walton clan right over the top. So uh, apparently, uh, Tony James, who most of us know is my sister, she wrote in that. And um, apparently, if you want to, you know have Tony on your team, you better have an indoor toilet. That's all I can say. And having been to Africa to visit my parents when they lived there, I gotta say, that is a nice luxury to have an indoor toilet. Um, or a toilet at all, if you're a person from uh, that great continent of Africa. Well, I hope you've enjoyed uh, my my choice this week. Uh, I've I've gotta choose, if I had to choose a TV dad, uh, Andy Griffith, Andy Taylor, um, and the reason why I, you know, I, I just I enjoy the show, and it, it's a little bit sentimental, and it's that kind of slice of Americana thing, but it's just kind of the way that he would always deal with uh, with problems, and he just seems so compassionate about it, and he seemed to have a good attitude. He lied all the time. Like you watch that show, he was always lying. So I don't know if he's the best moral exemplar. It was always like to spare somebody's feelings, but he was always lying about something. So I don't know. Do I? Maybe I should go with Cliff Huxtable too i don't know but it looks like cliff was our winner this week so bill cosby way to go portraying a father that a lot of people you would like to have you as theirs so uh thanks for answering the question of the week as always you can answer that on the facebook page for voices in my head the rick lee james podcast and uh, i'm excited to bring it to you next week's question is um actually basketball related because uh, my guest is Dr. David Myers and he's a big basketball fan and uh, the question this week is what is your favorite book or movie about basketball so go to the Facebook page and answer that or you can go to rickleejames.com and get links that will take you to the Facebook page if you have trouble finding it Um, but that will be the next question of the week what is your favorite book or film about basketball All right. well this has been All right, well, we are going to go right into the interview now with Dr. Randy James. Very special interview for me, and uh, I have to say I'm, I'm grateful for my father. I'm grateful that he was able to do this show. He's a great dad, and I have to say of all the things that he taught me, uh, he taught me to seek after God and to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might. Uh, straight from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. You can go and read that, and that kind of sums up, I think, my dad's ministry and his call to everyone. So it was a real privilege for me to get to talk with my dad. Um, it's not just because he's my dad that I'm having him on this show. I really don't like to have people on here just for the sake of having people on, um, even if he is my father. But my dad is a really smart guy. He's done a lot of studying through the years. His uh, his doctorate is earned. He has 
has a, a doctorate in um, theological studies and has been a pastor for many, many years, my whole life, and uh, has spoken at many places, been a missionary in Africa. He's a musician. He's a preacher. He's a writer. He's got um, at least one fully published book out. He has other books that he's written and just aren't fully into publication yet, but he writes about preaching. He writes from books on the Bible. Really brilliant guy. So it's my privilege to have Dr. Randy Lee James. That's right. He has the middle name Lee as well. That's where I got it from. And uh, I'm pleased to talk to him about his book on Revelation, which you can pick up on Amazon. And you're going to hear us talk all about that today on this episode of Voices in My Head. Thank you for listening. And if you like the show today, go to iTunes and leave us a review. I'd love to hear from you. It helps us get more visibility. And without any more hesitation, here is my interview with my father, Dr. Randy Lee James. Well, today's episode of Voices in My Head is a special Father's Day edition, and because of that, I am here in North Vernon, Indiana today at the North Vernon Church of the Nazarene, with my father, Dr. Randall E. James, and uh, he has a book out that we're going to be discussing today called Unraveling the, Reve- the Revelation, Devotional Readings from the Apocalypse, Written from an Amillennial Perspective. So, Dad, welcome to Voices in My Head today. Good morning, and so, thank you for having me. It's a pre- pleasure to have you in North Vernon. It's good to be here. So, you get the privilege today that everybody that comes on the show gets of answering the question of the week, and so since it's Father's Day... Uh, here's the question of the week for this week. If right. you if you had to choose uh, any of these four TV fathers to be your father, which one do you think you would choose? Uh, and tell us why, too, and you can, can go through that. But I picked uh, Charles Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie, who was Michael Landon. Uh, Cliff Huxtable, uh, who was the character Bill Cosby played on The Cosby Show. John Walton, who was played by Ralph Waite on The Waltons, and Andy Andy Taylor, who was played by Andy Griffith on The Andy Griffith Show. Oh, all good shows. Uh, probably, I, I wouldn't fit into the Huxtable family very well, being a Caucasian. <laughs> Uh, I, I he could be adopted. I could be, I guess. I probably wouldn't fit in with Dick Van Dyke because I'm not in black and white. He wasn't an option, though. He wasn't an option. No, it's Charles Ingalls, Cliff Huxtable, John Walton, and Andy Taylor. We were talking about that earlier. That's what it was. Yeah, Tony said uh, Dick Van Dyke. I, I think probably I'd go with Little House on the Prairie and, and uh, Charles Ingalls. Okay. Uh, partly because of the era. I, I love the 1800s and, and just the... Uh, America coming of age, and, and it always seemed like he, of course, he's a great script writer as well, so the script always came out like it was supposed to, and that was a good thing. But I, I think probably Charles Ingalls would be a good guy to choose. All right. Well, good enough answer. Very, and there were some good runner-ups there. So, Well, my hope is that uh, today's podcast won't be too esoteric, but that anybody who listens to this can glean from this look at the book of Revelation. And Revelation is one of those books that is very, I guess, shrouded in mystery to some people, and a lot of people won't even approach it because of, um, I guess, the hard uh, use of language in it and the type of literature that it is. But uh, my father wrote a book that, as I've said before, it's called Unraveling the Revelation, and it's an amillennial perspective. What makes your book on Revelation different than maybe other books on Revelation that are out there? Because there's a wide 
range of books that are supposedly about Revelation. There's fiction books like Left Behind, um, which is completely different than the approach you're taking. What makes your book different than maybe some of the other books people might have seen? Well, the first thing that makes it different than any book I have seen is the fact of the style in which it's written, and it's a devotional style. It's a day-by-day devotional that I have not seen anyone else do that. There may be out there. I just haven't seen them. Uh, but it's meant to be picked up and taken in small little snippets that you can take a verse and go through it for the day or two or three verses for the day and uh, go page by page several days of the year. Uh, that was, that style's what I, I, I chose to go with, partly because uh, there were so many books in Revelation out there. Uh, I made one mistake, I think, when I, when I was putting it together on the cover where I, I listed as being written from an amillennial perspective. That confuses people more than it helps them. And if I just had left the title Unraveling the Revelation, more people would have picked it up and read it, I think. But I, I think when I had, I had one man here in my church, especially, he was looking at it and he saw the, the, the subtitle there and devotional readings from the apocalypse written from an omelette perspective, and he just put it back down. He, he just, I don't know what that means. I'm not going to try to get into this. It's, too, it's over my head. Uh, Partly, though, the, but as far as the content of the book, what I think makes it different than, than some that I have read is I think the message revelation, though it's very, very uh, complex in one sense, it's very simple in another, that to me it's a book of hope, a book of encouragement. It's a book that is written to the church in a time when it was completely overwhelmed with obstacles that are much bigger than what we in the USA face right now anyway. And... They, they saw this as there's an end game. In this world we will have trouble, but hold fast, for in the end we win. That's, that's kind of the message in a nutshell for Revelation for me. And uh, I was not raised with an amillennial perspective. I was not raised thinking that, that uh, the, the symbolism there uh, simply was symbolism. I saw things very literal. And uh, the more I began to to look at it, the more I began to realize there was something more to it. Well, maybe before we go too much further, you could explain, because a lot of listeners may not know what that means. You have the premillennial, postmillennial, uh, amillennial, and, and as my pastor says, panmillennial, that will mm-hmm. all pan out in the end. Uh, uh, maybe you could explain what you mean by these different views of the end times in Revelation. Well, the amillennial view... Uh, basically takes takes the approach that everything from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ is the last days. Uh, they, they are the last days. Uh, it, it's not... Uh, the premillennial view was, was first of all the one that Christ is going to come back and set up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years here on earth. And uh, basically things are getting worse and worse and worse and he's going to come and set it all right on earth and make it a different kind of kingdom here. What was originally with the Church of the Nazarene, not as a doctrine, but most scholars in our church were post-millennial when it began, thinking the world is is, uh, getting better and better. John Wesley, I believe, was a post-millennialist, though he may never have said it. His attitude certainly uh, portrayed that, that we believe in revival, we believe in world evangelism, we believe it's going to uh, help the world get better and better and better and and usher in the coming of Christ. Mm -hmm. But as... World War One came, the Great Depression came, World War Two came, folks started saying, no, things are not getting better, things are actually getting worse, and, and the view kind of switched off the post-millennial view. Uh, I, I look at, at this 
from a this thousand year idea, the millennial idea, as being a very symbolic number, as most numbers are in Scripture. Uh, it, it's it's one that that says that the church age is the millennium, from Christ's first coming to the second coming is the millennium, and uh, it's a symbol that that what we have before us is is uh, Christ working out the kingdom in our world and uh, not looking for some kind of a great climax where he comes for a certain number of days and the church is taken out and, and those kinds of things. But uh, his presence with us in the world sets up the kingdom. Okay, good. Well, let's give everybody a little taste. Sometimes when I have authors on the show, I'll ask them to just read a section of the book. And uh, I really enjoyed page 72 and and just so you know it is a devotional book and so he's going through the book of revelation in this uh but it is meant to be sort of a daily devotional book and so each chapter is not really a chapter it's a page uh that writes about a different section and on page 72 it's the uh, the head the heading is the great tribulation and it comes from revelation 7 13 through 14 uh, so would you mind reading that? We can have the author in his own uh, in his own voice reading his words. To read that page? Uh, yeah, if you'd okay, read that page sure. first. Yeah. Uh, the scripture is from the 7th chapter, verses 13 and 14. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John is asked by one of the twenty-four elders if he understands who these people are and where they have come from. John throws the question back to the elder, and then the elder begins his explanation. He tells John that these are those who have come out of the great time of tribulation. This refers to the constant tribulation of life, which was the result of evil's battle against the church. These Christians have come through the battles victoriously because they have purified themselves, they have washed their robes through the cleansing blood of the Lamb. On their own they could never have survived, nor can we, but through the magnificent power of Christ we can be overcomers in the face of every trial and tribulation. If we are looking for specific years of tribulation to arrive at the end of the age, then we miss completely what John is saying. Many in the Western world have never had any kind of hardship put upon them for their faith because they live in a country where freedom of worship is usually, sadly, taken for granted. However, much of the world has lived for centuries in great oppression because of faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Try telling those who have been jailed, tortured, raped, mutilated, and killed for their Christian faith that they have not been through great tribulation. This tribulation refers to what Christians face in life here on earth. All who stand for Christ will be tested, and all who overcome will be rewarded with life eternal. Hmm. Thank you very much. And that was page 72. They give you a little glimpse of what the readings are like in that book. Uh, I picked that because I think it's well written, but also because there's a lot of um, misunderstanding, I think, in Scripture about this idea of tribulation and and. A lot of people, you know, look at it and they say, if if you take a book like novels like the Left Behind series and things like that, they're saying that, okay, this is an example of what it's going to be like when the Great Tribulation comes. And um, I think that does a disservice to everyone, even in the first century, who this book was written to, 
who are going through incredible tribulation. They're they're being burned alive for their faith. They're being thrown to lions and going through all that. And they were indeed in tribulation. I mean, it and it was great at what they were going through at that time. And people have throughout the ages. So to look at it uh, in the left behind mode is is very demeaning and diminishes the suffering of people who have been going through this. I think. But um, one one thing that brought it home to me was when I was teaching a class in Africa uh, on this very book, I, the class was the book of Revelation in a biblical literature class. And I, was, I came to this passage <clears throat> and I was talking to the class about the fact that tribulation was not just something in past or something at the end, but certainly something that many parts of the world experience to this very day. And one of my students who was, was from Sudan pulled out his cell phone and he had video capability on his phone and he said I want to show you something and he showed us in the class the the viewing of the story of Mansur Muhammad who was in another country but he was uh, the, the begin he it's in Arabic and and they have men in hoods all around him he's bound before them and uh, my student was interpreting the Arabic to us but he was saying basically give up your faith, recant your faith, come back to, to the Islamic way of faith where he, they came out of. And uh, he just remained silent until eventually I saw him take a knife. Uh, one, of the, one of the men in, with a hood take a knife and take it across his throat and slit his throat and literally take his head right off his shoulders. And for the sake of Christ, he gave up his life there. And I began to realize that first even I didn't want to see it, but I thought I could be a witness to this that here is a modern-day example of great tribulation in our world, uh, a country where Christianity is outlawed, and he became the, the witness for Christ even in that. Hmm. Well, and that's why Revelation, I think, is so important. If I think if we're only looking forward to something that's coming, uh, we, we miss the hope that is there for everyone through all ages. And while, while I believe Revelation was written to the first century church and the letters and the way they're written and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the writing styles um, I think it's timeless in that these truths that come from it are not just for people who are suffering but especially for people who are suffering because of uh, their faith in Christ it brings such hope to every age so whether it's the first century dealing with the empire that is outlawing Christianity or whether it's the person you just mentioned present day in the Sudan um, the words are the the same words of hope you don't have to wait until after this so-called great tribulation to come these words are are yesterday today and forever uh, sort of like the Alpha and Omega that Christ refers to himself as in the, the beginning of the book. So, And maybe that's a good place for us to start. I'm going to ask you a few questions that sometimes people have about Revelation. Okay. So I don't think it's going to stump you because you've done so much uh, study on this. Um, but let's start with like the Alpha and Omega because Jesus refers to himself in the book as the Alpha and Omega. What would that mean? That's kind of an elementary thing a lot of people have heard that but may not know what the, what does that mean if I'm the Alpha and Omega? Well, of course, Alpha, Omega, that's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so for us it would be the A and the Z in the English-speaking language. I'm the first and the last. Uh, before there was anything I am, Before after everything is over I am, uh, he is the first and the final of, of all. Okay. And that was understood by the church, I think, pretty clearly as those words were written in that okay. day. 
So this was written by John, first of all, to an audience that believed this. And so John is bringing words of encouragement, um, written to seven different churches. Um, but as, as a lot of people need to understand, if they don't, um, we all need to understand is actually that the Bible is a series of uh, different sort of books. They weren't even books, really, some of them when they were put together. Some of them were letters. Um, so it, it means a lot to actually look at context of why things were written, when they were written, how they were written, who they were written to, and Revelation is no exception to that. Can you explain to us what type of literature the book of Revelation is? Well, it's written in an apocalyptic style. It's not pure apocalyptic, but it's, it's certainly very heavily ap apocalyptic in the sense that everything is very symbolic, or many things are very symbolic. You do not take this as you would take something very literal. If you do, I think you're going to misunderstand what the meaning of the book is. Mm -hmm. What I like to do when I'm teaching through this book is, is bring to a class a newspaper. And I open up the newspaper and I say, okay, here is the front page, here are the editorials, here is the, the, the classified section, here are the comics, and go through the various parts of the, the paper and say, now, you don't read the comics with the same frame of mind, you read the headlines. Right. You don't read the want ads just like you would read the editorials. You look at them in different ways. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true of the Bible. You have history, you have, you have uh, you know, narrative stories, you have poetry, and you have apocalyptic in certain parts. Uh, different languages at times, from, from Hebrew to Aramaic to Greek. And, and it's for different readers, different authors, and uh, we're not even sure exactly you know, who the author John was that wrote mm -hmm. this. Some have said he is uh, the Apostle John, and there are other writers uh, by that name, like there are many, many people by the name of John today. We don't know mm -hmm. for sure. But his style of writing is very much in contemporary with uh, the intertestamental period between the Old Testament, the New Testament, mm -hmm. and the first century uh, of the church. So looking forward to the end, an apocalyptic is looking for for something more that is yet to come, with symbolism pointing the way to get there, not to be taken literally. Mm -hmm. And it's also, um, I mean, parts of Revelation are epistolatory, like they're, they're actually almost like epistles because they're letters. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, they are letters, you know, written mm -hmm. to be past church, and then there's, uh, they're prophetic too in the sense, not, not so much in the, the way that we often look at prophetic in, okay, I'm going to tell you the future and this is exactly how it's going to happen, but... Prophetic meaning one who speaks the words of God from God to his mm -hmm. people, and, and which we really need to recapture that meaning of the word prophetic, um, whether that's future telling or whatever, it, it literally means we're bringing the message of God. For, you know. for me, one of the ways of understanding the book, uh, I, I go back to an old book that I have in front of me here. It's called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's written by Donald Richardson. And I, I was given this as a gift back in the, in the 1970s. And uh, I don't think the person who read it, who gave it to me, ever even read it. But mm -hmm. he, he thought maybe I'd be interested in it. And the way uh, he, Donald Richardson, portrays this uh, kind of got me thinking along, started me in my journey toward where I, I believe now. But basically, seeing Revelation as seven different stories. Uh, it has a, a prologue, an epilogue at the end, uh, and seven stories in the middle that tell the same story in a different way. And the way that he phrased it back many years ago is if you had seven different movie projectors set up, and each one showing the movie, the story you were telling, 
but different directors, different producers, different actors telling the same story. And that's kind of what Revelation does to me. I, I see it broken down into seven different messages, with seven being the heavy number going through this. Hmm. Very good. Um, one thing I want to say, too, uh, it's, this is one of my pet peeves, and uh, I used to say this when I was youth pastoring to teens, and, of course, they would do the opposite of what I said just to because they knew it drove off, me yeah. crazy. <laughs> but I would always remind them when they would say the book of Revelations uh, that it's not plural. It's the book of Revelation. And, and you'll, you'll never see it in the Bible that it says the book of Revelations because really there's one thing being unveiled in this book. There's, there's one main thing, and I, I would say that is Jesus Christ. It's, it's his unveiling mm-hmm. and who he is in all of his fullness power but do you do you have is that one of your kind of pet peeves when people always say in revelations you know <laughs> let, let, let me read you from page one okay page one one of the pet peeves that i oh, have is right. hearing people refer to the last book of the bible as revelations plural uh instead of in the singular as it's plainly presented uh certainly it is when i i hear it all the time like mm-hmm. you do uh christ is being revealed here it is his story it's about uh what Christ has done, is doing, will do in the world, and he is the focus. That should be, for all of our ministry, Christ is the focus. And so when you start talking about revelations, you're looking at different shows. You're looking at something that's going to be external beyond Christ. Mm -hmm. And this is what Jesus is going to show me. Mm -hmm. No, what you're being able to see is Christ. Well, and even the the word revelation, if I recall, the Greek of that is... Apocalypse, uh, apocalypse. Apocalypse is yeah. the Greek word, and we often look at that as oh, it's this huge battle. So they make these movies about you know the huge apocalypse that's coming. But if you translate that, it means the revelation or something that is being revealed, just something mm-hmm. that is shown. So um, you know you can show a lot of things, and it can be this is. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna unveil a sculpture or something, this can be the apocalypse of your sculpture. You know? Right, right. <laughs> and pull, it doesn't pull the sheet off. Right, it, it doesn't mean that there's some war that's gonna happen when you pull the sheet off. It means you're literally unveiling. Mm-hmm. And um, if you look at it in that way, it's a beautiful way to look at, at who Christ is. Um, now, would would you say that um, the parts of the picture oftentimes um, are less important than the whole? Altogether, and what I mean by that, we sometimes get so caught up in the very minor, almost insignificant details in Revelation. Some of them are not insignificant, but some of them I think are, and that's where we've gone down a wrong path sometimes. In where maybe the study of the Book of Revelation, especially in the last hundred years in America or two hundred years, have gone, because we've stopped seeing this as a book as a whole to tell us about Jesus. And instead, we've looked at all these little minor, well, this seven means this, and this, you know, this locust is a jet flying through Vietnam, and this is that, and, mm-hmm. other, and yeah. things like that. Late great planet so Earth, yeah. W- would it be better to say that we need to look at Revelation, maybe like we do all scripture, we need to see it as a whole, as far as what it's presenting? Or what's, what's your thought on that? On well, that? I think that is true, though, that the Bible you have to look at as the 66 books. It is a whole, mm-hmm. and, it, and even the one book here itself, is uh, is a whole. You take it all into context. Mm-hmm. Understanding John inspired to write this letter to the seven churches, and this is the evidence that it has been given to him of what is and what is to come. And so 
to take it out of that context of the first century really does a distortion to it. To make mm -hmm. this to be something of modern aircraft and military might, mm -hmm. uh, although it does apply, mm -hmm. but it applies to all ages. My right. favorite part of the book is chapters four and five, which I think is kind of key for understanding a lot of the book, what I call the great praise party. Mm -hmm. That uh, it's almost as if in chapter four, uh, Jesus is saying, believe in God, here is the, the great one on his throne, mm -hmm. and the, the four elders and the, uh, the four living creatures and, and the, the elders around the throne. And then you have chapter five, as Christ the Lamb is revealed. So believe in God, believe also in me. And you have this continual praise party going on, which serves as a backdrop for everything else throughout the book. The first three chapters are what I call a, a, a prologue leading up to the story. But the first real vision is that praise party. And that, that sets as a backdrop. In all times, good and bad, in the heavenly realms, there's a lot of praise going on. It's, it's, a, it's a great time of celebration. And as you go through the visions, sometimes that's revealed at the first of the vision, sometimes it's at the end, sometimes it's in the middle, but always in the backdrop is the great praise party. Mm -hmm. God lifted up above all things. Mm -hmm. and that kind of sets the key to me of what putting the book into context and uh, taking it out of that context to make it mean, like you said, a minor thing here or a minor mm -hmm. thing or apply it to oil in the Middle East or mm -hmm. apply it to what's happening with the Palestinians and Israel right now as opposed to any other time, I think misunderstands what the book is trying to teach. Very good. Well, I was actually going to talk to you about chapters 4 and 5 in a second. Just, just before we do, because I do have a specific question about 4 and 5, um, can you tell us, now that I've just said, you know, not to dwell too much on some of the details, but there are some that are important, like a lot of numbers are important mm -hmm. in Revelation. Um, a simple one that a lot of people may not know the significance, but tell us the significance of the number seven and why it appears. Seven is a number traditionally known as the number of perfection, mm -hmm. and it's the number of completion, which is why when you come to this, the, the passage, it talks about uh, the number 666, mm -hmm. that this is a man's number that it's always going to be short of seven. Uh, 666 carried on to eternity is still going to be short of seven. It will never be perfect. It will always be less than what it should be. Uh, I think probably because of the style of the writer that enters into a lot of, of why seven is used so often, it's a way to hold the book together in continuity because there are so many times, seven churches, seven visions, seven bowls, seven plagues, mm -hmm. uh, all these different sevens listed throughout this. It helps people to remember Mm -hmm. and, and that's a big part of it because we're, we're coming at this from a very literal age mm -hmm. where people can pick up a book and read it. Mm -hmm. When this was written, first of all, books weren't available, and secondly, if they had been, they couldn't read. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a time when uh, you need to apply things to memory. So seven has a, a strong connotation just to help folks hold on to the mm -hmm. material that's there. And it's sort of like, too, when we said the Revelation instead of Revelations, that number seven can be used as a device to pull us back in to what the main, who the main character in the story right, is again. Right. So every time we have seven, that you we have to stop thinking about okay, well, what's this mean? We got to have seven here. It's, the seven is a reminder. This is God present. This is God here. And so something about what God is doing. This is significant when that number seven is around. And, and I think it's so. part it's partly true too that you can see how the book is divided with by that number. Mm -hmm. When you come to a section that talks about seven bowls. Mm -hmm. or you have uh, a, a different kind of seven, the seven letters. You can say this is a different part of the book. This is divided in by sevens mm -hmm. all the way through. Good. 
Um, and I'd heard too, I think it was in Bruce Metzger's book, um, I think it was called Cracking the Code or Unlocking the Code. Um, he's a, a Methodist theologian, and I, mm -hmm. I think he was saying too that there's a significance to some of the numbers he thinks, and he wasn't sure completely about this, but um, there were certain letters in the alphabet that would correspond to the numbers, and so there was, um, yes. he, he, he feels like sometimes the numbers that were mentioned were in code to correspond to a, a like Nero or right, someone else at that time. The 666 yeah. actually yeah. was Nero's number. Mm -hmm. um, so it really did have a first century significance, like the people would know, but they couldn't just come out and say that for the sake of their life, too. <laughs> well, it's, it. it's even like today we have missionaries in fields we can't say, but we have missionaries in fields. Exactly, to, Because yeah. it would cost them their lives if we revealed they were yeah, there. I, I have a friend who's a missionary in China, and he's, he's a teacher, and he said, hey, if he ever writes me an email, he's, he's working for dad, you know, or mm -hmm. something like that, and it's, it's always interesting. But um, you mentioned four and five, and I'm glad you did, and um, the lion-lamb passage where he comes in and opens the scroll and, and proving that he is worthy. Um, that passage is very mysterious to a lot of people, I think, but it's just, it's a beautiful passage, too, and the paradox of him being both lion and lamb, and, and in some ways it reminds me a little bit of the description C.S. Lewis uses of Aslan, of, mm -hmm. um, the gentleness of a kitten and yet the fierceness of this lion, you know, at the same time. And um, Can you explain maybe some of the significance of this lion-lamb opening the scroll and, and proving he's worthy, and, and maybe even what those scrolls are there? Well, I, I think that, that we we see Jesus portrayed here as the answer to the prayer that is being offered up. Uh, it begins by uh, this scroll being presented and the seven seals, it's seven again on the mm -hmm. scrolls that, that have to be opened and there is a, a weeping that takes place and, and you have uh, John who is, is crying and and he cannot see anyone to open the scrolls and he wants to find out what's on the inside and then comes in the lamb hmm. and the lamb is the only one who is worthy to do that because he has been through the fire so to speak he has hmm. proven himself worthy and as he he comes to the uh, to the scrolls he's able to take it and open it and one at a time the, the, the seals are broken and revelation uh, in a sense comes through, a new insight comes through because of what he does there. But uh, Jesus becomes the picture here of the suffering lamb slain from the foundation of the world, which tells me a couple of things, you know, that he is in the plan of the Father from the beginning. It's not just an afterthought that the Jews caught him off guard and took him by surprise and killed him, that this is a, a plan of the Father. And he has been raised up now and has become the leader of this kingdom of priests mm -hmm. who now occupy the world. And so because of, of his rightful place of being the conqueror over death, hell, and the grave, mm -hmm. that he now takes the leadership and, and is able to reveal to the church things they need to know. And that take, that's his place in this story, that he is the one who is doing the revealing. The revealing is about him, mm -hmm. but he is the one who is showing what's taking place now and to come. Um, in in chapters 
like six through eight, we get an introduction to to the seven seals on mm-hmm. the scrolls of judgment, and um, seals were kind of looked at much differently in that time period than say we have a, a seal today. We would just think, well, just tear the seal, you know, or whatever it means. What was the significance of of why only Jesus could open these seals? Like, there isn't there a royal connection to um, the seals were meant to be opened only by certain people and royalty. And well, many times in, in ancient days before we have the, the modern technology of locking things up that we do now, that, that was the, if the seal was broken, that had been tampered with. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Jesus is the first one to open these seals, so they haven't been tampered with up to this time. But he's the only one, I, I look at this anyway, of saying because he's, he's revealing things that are unknown, he's the only one who knows all these things. And he has he has the right to open the seals because he's the only one who can can take them and present the facts as they are, without distorting the facts to the the reading public of of what is to come. And I'm not saying that in the sense of looking down the future, you know, two thousand years to where we are today of what is to come, but for all of our lives, uh, each seal reveals something of the age we live in that maybe we weren't aware of before. And as the royal king, the lamb that was slain, that was raised up from the dead, uh, he has the privilege and the right to begin to reveal to us what the church needs to know to survive. You will have trouble. You will have persecution. There will be hard places. But, oh, at the end, there's still the praise party. It's still going on all the time, and you can be a part of that if you hold fast. So he, he has the right as the king of kings to open the seals because he knows what no one else knows. And I, and I think that that is... A, a beautiful way of explaining the special relationship of the Son to the Father as well is that these, um, unless they're tampered with, the person who these seals were intended for to be shared with are the ones that it's sealed until it gets to. Like if if, if the king, uh, if you've seen movies and things where they melt the wax and put the seal right. on it and they say, take this to so-and-so, well, that's not supposed to be given to anybody else but that person. So I've always just kind of liked it as a beautiful way of describing this is the special relationship that Christ has to the Father that no one else has. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we just celebrated Pentecost, which is a beautiful way of showing that Christ has actually shared that relationship with all of us through the Spirit. But Mm -hmm. um, I digress a little bit. Well, I I think, and partly with with the seals, that when we, we take the Scripture out of context, we are doing violation to to the message that's trying to be portrayed here and we're, we're tampering with the, the seal, so to speak. Christ is revealing something, but he's not revealing something that, that's, uh, that's not for the people that's reading it. Mm-hmm. I mean, for us to read it today, if we read the same book today for the first time and say, but it's not going to apply to you for another 2,000 years, right. it would make no sense. Mm-hmm. It takes it out of context. It just says it has to go to the first century church and say, this has to mean something to you. Well, it's not going to apply to you for 2,000 years as long as you live in America. Right, <laughs> right, as long as you live in, you live in the U.S. of A. Um, now, um, and that, that just is another thing. We'd be wrong to assume that particular wars and rulers throughout history are being referred to in the book of Revelation as specifically like, like John was looking at it and said, oh, yeah, that's Hitler, and that's, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, I, I think it's clear for John it was Nero, it, right. or it was a Roman emperor of the time, uh, 
certainly the, the persecution was upon them and they were feeling it very heavily. But I, I see this as for every generation. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there is the, the image of, of a Hitler, of a Mussolini. There is an image of Saddam Hussein and also of George Bush and, and uh, our current president. Mm -hmm. the, the, all rulers are included in this. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people that are, have power been given to them. There are religious rulers who have power that's been given to them. And we can't settle it into this is one generation because every generation faces the same issues. Hmm. Very good. Well, I'm trying to figure out what exactly I want to uh, to go through. I want to just try to hit just a very little bit, and I'll just kind of pick your brain and uh, quickly on okay. thoughts throughout the rest of the books. Because I'm I'm not really giving a a great overview of Revelation, but I kind of want to go through. Um, chapter 8 through 11 there's the uh, sounding of trumpets in, any thoughts on maybe what the significance of the sounding of these trumpets signify in these trumpets I, I like music so I want to look at the <laughs> trumpet part well I, I call this the, the third vision it, it, uh, it, it begins with uh, a blight on the land and as the first trumpet sounds and I believe God uses the natural creation of the way he has set our world into order to call our attention back to him. If you hear a trumpet it's to get your attention mm -hmm. and whether it's a fanfare to start a service or it's a, it's a blast to start a battle or it's taps in the evening to put you to bed, you hear a trumpet you think of you, you, it gets your attention right away mm -hmm. that's what these trumpets are doing they're calling attention to the fact that these disasters are taking place and uh, there's a number of them here. The second one's a disaster on the sea, and then there's on the freshwater supply, and then uh, plague on daylight, and so on. But, but each one of these are, are, are big happenings in the world. But every time there's a big happening, it should call our attention back to the one who's given us the revelation, mm -hmm. uh, back to the Father himself. Mm -hmm. And if there's an earthquake, it's meant not for us to say, boy, Mother Nature sure is angry today, mm -hmm. but it's to say, God has allowed this to happen in the creation of the world, the way he put the world into to place, to continually call us back to him and realize there are things we can't control. There is someone bigger in charge of this. Uh, I think of more recently a year ago in Japan with the tsunami and the earthquake that hit there. And uh, some even say, uh, some scientists I've, re I've read have said that the earth actually was moved slightly on its axis mm -hmm. at that time, so there may be a different in climate change uh, coming along because of that and we certainly have had warmer weather that may yeah. or may not be the case for us right now but we don't know but even things like that rather than saying boy it's a hot day today it's a it's a call for us to look back to God when Hurricane Katrina came through it's a call for us to look, be reminded now that you're not in charge of this you don't control the world look to one who does so they're a blast to get our attention and and to call us back to the one who made us that's the purpose of the trumpets and I think, uh, rather than, if you have to be careful too when you say that, rather than go down some dangerous roads in theological thought of, of every natural disaster, well, this was God using, you know, trying to be a wake-up call, you know, or whatever. But more, more than saying that, I think we're saying all of things in life are meant to call us back to God, and especially these big events, let them turn you back to God. It could know, be a good event turn, as yeah, well as a bad event. it could be a good event, right. Uh, but some, whatever gets your attention, but I, I think especially people have a morbid tendency to, if they're going to turn to God, it's when the, the crisis happens. Hmm. Uh, I think back to 
and uh, in many churches across our country after 9-11 for the next three weeks afterwards churches were higher in attendance than usual yeah, and people had the sense maybe I ought to get things right, right for a moment or two anyway and and so the reason I mention that is I wouldn't at all say well God did that God made no that. no I didn't but, say God caused that no. yeah exactly and so that's what I wanted to just make the distinction is that we're saying we're not saying God necessarily caused all those things to happen but we're saying these are the wake-up calls that God can and will use in those moments that these are trumpet sounds and and it, and it could be even in the sense of something very special uh, the birth of a child hmm. you you see this this beautiful new life that has come into the world and you all of a sudden realize oh I'm responsible to to be instru- the instructor and the care provider and and all for this and and I need someone bigger than me to guide me in this and it calls you back to God so it could be as in I think here in Revelation talking about disasters mm-hmm. but it could for all of us today could be something very wonderful that happens mm-hmm. you get that new job you get that big uh, uh, inheritance from somewhere and okay I need to be a steward of this mm-hmm. God expects me to handle this correctly right. it's a call back to him well, that's a perfect transition. You didn't even know it. But 12 through 14, we, we get a new cycle of visions. And you mentioned the birth of a child. Uh, this is where we have the image of um, uh, the, the one of the male child, the Christ, who is pursued by the dragon, or, or at least that's what often is translated as. Maybe you can shed some light on that. Uh, but what's what's going on in, in 12 through 14? Because there is kind of a new set of visions and there's this dragon character and the woman who's giving birth and, and all that, and there's much debate over that. What are your thoughts on that? I think if you ask most people, uh, what what is the event of the Bible that calls your attention to the birth of Christ? Uh, they go to Luke, they go to Matthew, and they'll tell the, the gospel account stories, mm-hmm. uh, Bethlehem and so on. I see this as another story, chapter 12 especially, uh, where Christ comes to the world, but it's almost as if his life was left out of this. And it's his ministry of the, the, the end of his life, the, the death, the resurrection, and on into glory, because he's snatched up into a heavenly place, uh, almost telling me that... Uh, there's, there's a huge event here that, that's described as the, the new birth. Uh, we, we are baptized, death to the old way, life to the new way. And, and certainly as, as this, uh, this is portrayed in Revelation, uh, the dragon being the evil one who is coming to destroy uh, Christ, who is brought about by the, the, the prayers and the lineage of, the, of what we would call the church, the Old Testament church, the New Testament church, those in, in uh, the, the family of God. And uh, th- this is, uh, to me, it's what I, I preached at Christmas time, different times in my ministry. I, I say it's another, another message of Christ becoming incarnate for us and God becoming incarnate for us as, as the Christ. And so I, I see this as just another way to look at the story that's given us in part in Luke and in Matthew. Hmm. Um, well, in this conflict, it actually I'm going to lead into 15 and 16. But in the conflict uh, with the dragon, the dragon is, is defeated and, and the elect are saved and the city of Babylon falls uh, and God's enemies are overcome. And then in 15 and 16, seven angels appear with seven bowls. And again, we're, we're called back to God again. We're reminded of what he's doing. Um, seven bowls containing the judgment plagues. And then 
the angels pour out these righteous judgments leading to the last great earthquake in which the city of this world Babylon is destroyed what's Babylon in your thoughts well it, I think in John's thought it was Rome mm-hmm. he, he saw it as the, the power of his age Babylon to me could be the power that's in charge of any age it could have been Greece it could have been uh, Nazi Germany it could be the United States mm-hmm. uh, it, it is the the power that becomes corrupt the na- the nation that has the superpower status so to speak that becomes corrupt and influences people to evil and uh, that's where the danger is I think even for us today is to think that we in America are you know land of the free home of the brave and we're the righteous remnant so to speak mm-hmm. not necessarily the case at all mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a matter of uh, judgment will fall on those who have been given the privilege and the power and the authority and misuse it. And and that's what I think is happening as you, as you think about what's being portrayed here. All right, we're going to move quickly through the last two sections that I've taken now, and that's 17 through 19, and then we'll close with 20 through 22. But in 17 through 19, chapter 17 through 19, it describes the destruction of Babylon and with its destruction of the beast and the false prophet. So uh, here we go, question of the age here. Who are the beast and the false prophet? Is is it? Uh, is, it's it's probably the Pope, right? That's what it's saying. it's probably the person. <laughs> it's probably the, the the generational question. Yeah. Uh, again, those that have been given privilege, whether in the religious realm, whether those who are in the political realm, and misuse that, uh, can take this image. And again, I'm not saying these are literal things. These are these are, are portrayed as as literal beings and then probably are acted out as literal beings in our world but I can't say that it is the Pope I can't say that it is uh, you know the the Iman who might be over Islam or whatever you uh, religion you want to call uh, but it's it's certainly uh, the false prophet has the symbol of, of a religious authority and it's like the church gone bad the church has a huge, huge blanket of influence over people. And if it leads to holiness, it can be a wonderful thing. If it leads to corruption, it can be a very devastating thing. And that's what I, I think has happened with this image of the false prophet here. Uh, the, the church has gone bad, and the powers of uh, that you would see leading people in the wrong direction, it's, I think maybe in the Middle Ages it could have been that image of the Pope. Uh, as Martin Luther began to, to rail against the, the injustices and, and all that was going on to just feed the coffers of Rome as far as the Pope was going. Uh, but it could be of any generation. And that's why every generation has to make sure that, that we look at this book as being a part of us. We're, it's not about us, but we're included in it. It's like we are not the church with this local congregation here, but we're a part of the church. And this book is telling our story, but telling the story of the whole church of all generations and the world that's affected by uh, the good, the bad, and, and, and the ugly, and so on. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, that the, the false prophets, so to speak, or the when the church goes bad, or anything good that goes bad, and you use the word holiness, and a word that I'm trying to use a lot in conjunction with holiness is the word wholeness. Mm-hmm. And um, it, when I think you said it very well, but I think any time 
that something becomes broken. Uh, the way of God will always lead us to wholeness, even if it's through difficult times, and even if it's through brokenness, it will lead to wholeness mm -hmm. <laughs> eventually. And um, when we when we get off track, if it's leading us to a broken state, um, that something needs to be fixed. I think when we get these false prophet images and the beast images and things, it would be a mistake uh, for us to to look forward and try to point out this specific person and say, you know, well, this is who Revelation pointed to. Again, we're not trying to do that. We're just saying this is a way of reminding us that we can be pulled away from wholeness, from holiness, that we can be It's a call in. for the church to be the church, mm -hmm. it to be who we are set apart to be. Back in the 1960s, when John Kennedy was elected as, as president, uh, there was a, a huge cry going up that, oh, the Pope's going to be controlling the United States from now mm -hmm. on. And they saw this as being the political beast and the false prophet mm -hmm. and the U.S. taking that role. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there is a, a, an awareness that that always could happen with any nation, with any, any situation, and especially a superpower as, as we have become. But I, I, I think that we have to keep it in, in mind that it's not just any one generation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all, it's, this is a message for all time. And so if the Lord continues to tarry and, and the world continues to stand as it is another 2,000 years, then this will be just as, as telling for the church then as it was 2,000 years ago and for the present age. Well, um, chapters 20 and 22, we're, we're getting into the last parts of the book. Here, God deals with the dragon, his final judgment, um, throws them into the lake of burning sulfur. Uh, we also see the emergence of the final city of God, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, uh, where eternal fellowship with God is to be enjoyed. Um, so here's a thought for you. Do you think that the book of Revelation ends like it begins? in the sense of um, John is beginning with worship and it's ending with worship? Uh, I never really thought of it in those terms before. It, it, it could very well be uh, something to think about. Uh, I, I look at the one, of the one of the highlights to me is of the, the holy city coming down uh, and realizing that the holy city is the church. And the church becomes then, to me, the climax is the church as a whole enters into the eternal praise party that's described in chapter 4 and 5. Mm -hmm. And uh, if that's, I'm not sure that's where I see John in chapter 1 because he's on the island, and, and though he is in the spirit on the Lord's day, mm -hmm. uh, that certainly is a time of worship. But it, it seems to be he's in more of a, a dire circumstance in, in that part. Sure. The, the climax of Revelation is that uh, all is well. Mm -hmm. uh, because the church has become one with uh, the saints of all ages, and and there is now this entering into the the praise that the the four and the twenty four have been doing, and the and the the elders, you know, that have been leading in the the choir, so to speak. But uh, the church reaches its climax in praise. Mm -hmm. The church reaches its climax, and it's and it's it has arrived as it reaches this place of worship and and uh, at oneness. That Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. Well, I guess the reason I say maybe why I'm thinking it's beginning where it ends and ends where it begins, um, the situation begins with dire circumstances, but also with him being caught up in a vision on the Lord's day. And mm -hmm. I, I look at it as a picture of worship, which, where John is worshiping in the midst of dire circumstances. 
And then at the end of the book, when we see the ultimate outcome and we see where it's going, we're, we're again, like you said, all creation is caught up, joined in this praise party that's there. Um, and I just think about the sameness of who God is in all of those circumstances, and we find him in our worship, and we find him there, um, that he is not different in the dire circumstances than he is in the circumstances when all is made right, when it's all there together. And I guess I just have thought about that recently, of just being like, it's interesting that if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we find ourselves in that in that worship location. And so really it's the same situation whether we're in dire or whether we're having wonderful times of life it's still the same god i think i think our spirit uh you never have to lose the song in the bad times, mm-hmm. so to speak that right. that's true but I, I i'm not the first to think of it but I, I think i see more of a correlation between the first of genesis and the, and the last of revelation where you know now things are restored as god first intended and the church has become one with him the, the people that he has created has become one with the creator and that becomes a the prize of eternity Good. well and we're almost done and uh i i want to say that i think that the book of revelation always points us more to hope than to destruction and i think uh, a, a way that we often get off track is when we look more at the destructions and the things that are coming um, or whatever, all the stuff we've talked about in nearly an hour as we've been <laughs> discussing now. But this final call in Revelation twenty two twenty, the come Lord Jesus, um, it's the anticipation of every believer. It's that heaven is certain, that heaven being where God's presence is there in its fullness. And amidst the losses and the injustices of life of this world, there is the assurance of eternal life in the presence of our King and our Savior Jesus Christ and nothing and no one can rob us of that prospect and so um, I, I just find it to be such a hopeful hopeful book in the midst and anytime we we wander too long into the the death and destruction and all that we truly miss the point we need to hear the trumpet again we need to hear the number seven calling us back reminding us of the hope that's there so any Final closing thoughts, because that's the best part of the book. Is the I, I was just listening to a uh, a writer on the on CD. And I listen to a lot of books as I travel, and uh, he was interpreting that that Maranatha call, not so much as "Come, Lord Jesus," but "Come as Lord Jesus," hmm. and uh, it got me thinking about that uh, John situation, especially. Uh, with all the turmoil that was going on in his world, and many people look around today and say there's turmoil, wherever, depending on where you are, to whatever degree that may be, uh, come as Lord Jesus and you know, reveal yourself. Help us to, to do your work and, and be Lord of our life to make us what we should be. Uh, and that the final call there, certainly, when it all comes to a climax, he will reign as Lord, hmm. and that's a good thing. Well, that's a good place for us to end this today. Uh, So I want to again thank my father, Randy James, for being on the podcast today on this special Father's Day episode. We've been talking about his book, Unveiling the Revelation. Really, we've been talking more about Revelation than your book, but um, (laughs) I I encourage you, uh, if you are looking for a good book on Revelation and one that actually is accessible, sometimes it's hard to pick up and dive into a book because you think it's going to be so difficult to understand. And this book really breaks it down, and I'm not just saying that because he's my dad. If uh, that, Now, you can get some copies of this still 
uh, in the paperback form if you'd like, but I think they're almost all sold out except maybe ones they would have to get from you. Come to me directly so to, to do that. How would they contact you? Do you have an email address? Or email you... address would be uh, drrandyleejames at aol.com, drrandyleejames at aol.com, and I could make arrangements to get some hard copies to them. Uh, online, you can go and get, a, get an e-copy, uh, mm -hmm. download just about any major outlet, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, whatever. Yeah, so, and just to let you know, if you do use an Amazon Kindle or, or want to get an electronic copy, they do have the books on Amazon. And if you go to my website, rickleyjames.com, uh, you'll see a link on there that says Rick's Amazon Store. And if you click on that, go there, um, look under Kindle books or even regular books and type in Un Unraveling the Revelation. That's the name of the book, and I'll have a link on the website as well. Uh, but you can go through that and, and download it. I think I saw it was $9.99 this morning, but they do have specials from time to time. And any purchase you make through that Amazon store through my site, I actually get a percentage of that towards my ministry. So if you want to help out the podcast a little bit and maybe uh, contribute some money towards that, um, just about anything you buy through Amazon, if you'll go through that page first, you can help. So, But I'll put links on the website that will actually come out with this podcast. So anything else that you'd like to know? I know you send out a, a weekly newsletter or anything like that if people would like to follow you. and what they uh, If they want to be on on the newsletter links it's almost the same it's, it's dr randy lee james at gmail.com i send out uh, that's that's kind of set aside just for the newsletter but uh i'm happy to correspond with anyone anytime i love uh, talking to folks from different parts of the world and mm -hmm. i have a quite a connection overseas as well and right. uh, look forward to making new friends right before uh, his present position here as pastor at north vernon church the nazarene he was the chaplain at uh, was there a different title other than just chaplain? I was the, spirit, the director of spiritual uh, development at African Nazarene University. Director of spiritual in development in Kenya. So uh, they, he's a, a world traveler for sure. Well, thank you, Dad, for being one of the voices in my head today. Pleasure to be here. Well, that was the voice in my head for most of my life, more than almost any other, my father, Randy Lee James, and it was great to have him on the podcast discussing, uh, discussing, discussing his book, Unraveling the Revelation. That is a book that is still available on Amazon.com, uh, and it's available not only in regular book form, but you can also get it for your Kindle or for your other digital readers. And I thank my dad for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you and appreciate all that you taught me about ministry and life and uh, the book of Revelation. You you know a lot, and, and uh, you really helped me to have a, a good biblical understanding of that versus uh, just kind of like folk theology. Uh, well, that's it for today on Voices in My Head. Please, I'm begging you down on bended knee. Uh, if you like this episode, go to iTunes, leave us a review, or to Stitcher and leave us a review there. It literally takes you about 60 seconds, and the more good reviews that we get, the more visibility we have here on Voices in My Head. If you're enjoying the free conversations that you get to hear every week, I hope they're enlightening and helpful and stimulating to you and enjoyable. 
just leave us a review, and that helps us get more and more listeners because the more reviews we have, the more we move up in iTunes and Stitcher's rankings. And uh, it's my goal. I want to get us out there as much as we can. So thank you very much, listeners, all of you. I appreciate you and love you all. Thank you for the feedback that you've been giving me on the podcast. Um, this has been such a great experience for me. I'm looking forward to seeing where God has taken us in the future. We've got some great shows coming up next week with Dr. David Myers. We're going to discuss his book, What God Has Joined Together. And then the week after, if all goes as planned, we're going to be having a discussion with music publisher Cindy Wilk Colville, former vice president of Word Records in Nashville. And uh, it's, it, it, we're going to do some, uh, let her do some on-the-air song uh, reviewing, critiquing, and it's going to be a great experience. Thank you very much for listening to Voices in My Head. I appreciate you. I hope all you dads out there, including myself now, have a happy Father's Day. And, uh, man, I'm just tickled pink. I can't wait to see my child that's going to be coming into the world. Love you all. Blessings. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.